What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. And this is a special episode because as I am recording right now, I am live in the Facebook group. And quick, shameless plug, you should definitely be in our Facebook group. Just search the Personality Diet and Neurotype Training. You can join our group. It's totally free. Ton of amazing resources in there. But this is going to be kind of a dual episode. So um, I asked a question in the Facebook group about what people want to learn about and got some amazing questions. And I'm going to run through and answer them on this episode We're going to break it down into two parts because there were so many questions that I am not going to be able to fit it all into one episode. So this will be part one, and then we will do a follow-up part two. So I'm just going to jump right in with the first question from the Facebook group, which is how to overcome the fear of eating and not giving a shit about the scale. So I love that we're starting right off the bat with a mindset question. Um, The fear of eating, first of all, this can look different for everybody, but ultimately there's going to be a reason why that's the case. And most of the time it's because of some past experience. Uh, Maybe, you know, for me personally, when I was afraid to eat more, it was because I was going through very restrictive dieting protocols. Like I had a good list versus a bad list of foods that I was allowed to eat. Um, I had a specific, very low calorie target. And it was like, every time I went through that process and then I stopped doing it, I would gain weight back. So I started associating eating more with gaining weight. And it put me in this place of like chronic dieting. So actually getting to the root of why that's the case and then challenging those pre-existing beliefs. Um, you know, what I did was actually went through the process of writing down what was factual about the situation, like what is true. And once you remove the emotion and feelings from that equation and you just write out what is true, you start to understand that a lot of these Uh, limiting beliefs that we have were kind of implanted in us. In other words, this good versus bad food list that I had, that wasn't something that I created. That was something that somebody passed on to me. And I just believed it to be true until I challenged that because it wasn't truth. It wasn't something that um, was was legitimate. So challenging where that stuff came from um, can really help you understand that uh, the fear that you have is oftentimes not even you know, it's not even something that was your own thought process. It became your story because you repeated it to yourself, but it was implanted by something, some external, um, you know, by some external source. And now it's become your story because you've been repeating that same thing over and over again. So you have to challenge that. Um, One of the things that we have to understand is there's often an association with um, the fear of eating and the fear of gaining weight. It goes hand in hand. So start to understand what is true about this situation. Um, Is there any flaws in my logic? If I eat more, will I definitely gain weight? And start to challenge some of these these thoughts that we have. Um, And, you know, the second part of this question is not giving a shit about the scale. Um, Who says that you shouldn't give a shit about the scale? I think that's a very personal thing. Um, Not letting the scale impact your decisions or impact your mood is very different than not caring about the scale altogether. I think sometimes we get caught up in this, um, you know, 
we shouldn't have a weight goal, but says who? If you have a weight goal, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not letting the scale define you. It's not letting the scale impact the decisions that you make. So understanding that if you're tying your your mood and your actions to an outcome, then we just have to look at that process all, you know, as a whole and understand that we can only control our thoughts and our behaviors. So regardless of what that number says, our actions and behaviors should be the same. Having a clear understanding of what you want to do and why it's important to you will help you go through the process of just showing up each day and doing the stuff that truly matters regardless of what the number says. And I wish as a coach, I, I really wish that we could see uh, scaled data without the client seeing that data. Like that somehow it just went from like the scale without showing the number all the way to the coach. Um, and we get to see the daily trends and you don't get to see it at all. I would love for that to happen because sometimes it does impact like, well, I stepped on the scale and it was two pounds up. So now I'm like, why even bother? But here's the thing. If you understand what you're trying to accomplish and you're not so outcome driven and you start to focus on the process and you start to focus on the daily actions and habits that make you feel your best, then it doesn't matter what the scale says. And, and you know, it's really just a matter of, of knowing why that stuff is important to you and disconnecting from the outcome and focusing on the stuff that you can control. So we can control our behaviors, we can control our thoughts, we can really control our future, and that comes down to having a growth mindset. You can't control what the scale says on a daily basis, so stop trying to and start focusing on the stuff that you can control. Um, so it's just it's a mindset shift that takes work, um, but it's so worth it when you can get into the space of really understanding the daily actions, habits, and intentions that make a difference. Um, and understanding that you're going to do that regardless. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, your, your training, like you might not always set PRs. You might not always like crush it in the gym, but if it's a part of you, you're going to show up every day and you're going to be consistent no matter what. So it's, it's shifting that outcome mindset to the process mindset. Next question is eating slash macros, but on night shift doesn't seem to matter what I do with the nights. Yeah. So, um, this is one of the things where whenever you have night shift, whenever you have something that's going to be an added stress and it's going to throw off your circadian rhythm, you have to understand that we're kind of, we have to be more diligent about other areas because you're kind of starting a few steps back. It's, you're, you're kind of playing from behind right off the bat. And it, it's just the nature of that line of work. Um, you know, circadian rhythm disruption, um, you know, higher cortisol at night, higher stress, all of these things are going to play a role in your ability to make progress. So we want to set ourselves up to, um, to accommodate for that and give ourselves the best chance to be successful. So oftentimes what that looks like is when you're doing, you know, when you're in a um, work schedule, doing night shift, uh, we're not trying to throw additional stressors on top of your body. So that means that we shouldn't be hitting a calorie deficit um, during those periods where you're doing night shift, we shouldn't be trying to um, kill it with high intensity workouts all the time when you're doing night shift. Anything that we can do to mitigate the stress response. Um, so that might mean eating a little bit more um, when you're on, when you're working night shift. And then we, if you want to make progress when you have a day off, if you have a day off, then we can do something like a more aggressive calorie deficit. 
um, I had a client that was working night shifts and then would have a stretch of like two to three days off and then would go back on like a 10 day. I think it was like a 10 day in a row work, uh, work schedule of, of night shift and then like three days off, that sort of thing. And we would literally stay at maintenance with higher carbs, lower intensity on training. And then the three days off, we would hit like a 40% deficit, 30 to 40% deficit. Um, so it was basically like three days in a deficit and then like 10 straight days at maintenance. The point is that we weren't trying to do too much when we know that stress is higher, when we know that things are going to be off from you know the perspective of circadian rhythm and um, higher cortisol at night and all these things. We're, we're not trying to throw um, you know gasoline on a fire. We just want to be smart about how we program. So it's really just a matter of understanding what your body's up against and not asking it to do too much. So there's ways to structure it based off of your schedule where we can manage those things when we're not in the ideal position to lose weight. Um, and then when you do have a little bit, you know, you have a day off here, a day off there, that's when we really hit the deficit. Um, so that would be, you know, without knowing your exact schedule, uh, that's kind of a general overview of how I would structure it. Next question is what my body really needs, what I'm willing to eat and where the compromise line is to have the healthiest, strongest body that I can have. Um, this is like a super individual question because I don't actually know what your body needs. I don't actually know what you're willing to eat and I don't actually know what you're willing to, to compromise. So what I will say is that going through the process of experimenting and seeing how different foods make you feel is going to kind of tell you what your body needs, listening to biofeedback, um, listening to, you know, what gives you more energy and how you feel during training and how you recover from training and what, uh, you know, types of macro splits and, and food quality um, helps you with your mood stability and helps you perform better. All these things that we can pay attention to from listening to what our body is telling us, which is going to look different for everybody as far as what you're willing to eat and what you're willing to compromise. Um, only you can answer that. So a lot of times people go through the process of trying to get leaner and trying to make progress. And then all of a sudden it gets to the point where they have to compromise. You know, maybe they give up drinking and uh, maybe they give up going out on date night and they're not willing to give those things up to get to the next level. And that's totally fine. Like we want to get to that point where we're fully self-aware of I've made progress to, you know, to this point and to get to that next level, I would have to give up stuff that I'm not willing to give up. But I, nobody can answer that question other than you. So if you are like, I want to compete, I want to like step on stage and take this to the ultimate level, then there's a lot of sacrifices that need to be made. So the further that you want to take it, the more extreme that your goals are, the more that you're going to have to sacrifice. Um, but what that looks like for you, I don't know truly what your goals are um, or what you're willing to compromise. So that is a very highly individual response that would just require some, some you know, internal thought process. Next question is emotional eating. Um, so some tools to deal with it or work through it when the need for comfort pops up. Um, you know, I think that first, the process of mindful eating is a skill that needs to be learned. 
because we've been taught, and I think this is something that's very common in our society, it's that we've been taught to use food as a coping mechanism or as an outlet. And by the nature of our daily lives, because we have so many distractions, we have social media, we have um, just constant, like our attention spans are so short and we're being pulled in a million different directions, it, it makes it very challenging to understand mindfulness in the context of nutrition. Um, so getting back to actually like sitting and being present and eating and using all of your senses through that process is a skill that almost has to be relearned. Um, when you are eating due to an emotion, one of the things that really helps is actually creating awareness around that process and some of the triggers that occur and understanding like there's going to be certain consistencies that happen. Um, and so actually outlining them and journaling and starting to find the similarities when it happens. So the first thing is that when it does happen, remove all judgment. It's like you are not your thoughts or your actions. Like you're kind of the person behind the scenes who's just observing. So truly sit back and become an observer of the, no judgment, no shame. This is just what happened. Um, and then start to outline the details of the situation. And again, it helps if you can do it from a place of just a true observer without putting your own emotional twist on it. And so what, what you tend to start seeing is that there's a, a trend that exists with your environment, where it happens, um, with the trigger, what caused it to happen, um, and then some of the feelings associated with it. So you start to notice like maybe shortness of breath or that pit in your stomach, or maybe there's just certain physical feelings that are consistent when you have these episodes. And once we start to identify those trends, then we can start to change how we deal with it and we can implement different outlets and strategies. So the first simple thing is like, if it happens in the same place every time, change your environment. So if it's emotional eating and it's always in the family room in front of the TV, if you start to see that process happening again, take a step back and change your environment and go to a different room or go outside. Um, you know, one of the things that helps is enforcing this like pause rule where when you feel yourself kind of going to that emotional state of like, I'm, I'm, you know, feeling stressed or I'm feeling the need for comfort and I want to you know, have this food that's going to fill that gap or fill that void, giving yourself a pause, like setting a hard line of, I am going to take five minutes. And after five minutes, if I still want to eat this food, then I'm going to. And now you've kind of created this opportunity to, to become present and to put yourself in the present moment and actually make a conscious decision. Now, that conscious decision may still be to go and have that food, which is totally fine, but at least you've given yourself the opportunity to take a step back and make a conscious choice. And then as we've identified over time certain trends, now we can start to pivot and use different outlets. So like I said, changing your environment is one. And then what having tools already planned for, so like coming up with two to three solutions, instead of food, what am I going to use? That's going to help me be more productive in this situation if it ever comes up again. So that need for comfort pops up. What is something else that provides me comfort? Maybe it's you know going upstairs and reading a book or getting in the bath or um, 
I don't know what that looks like for you, but anything that provides that same feeling of comfort, maybe it's going and cuddling with your dog, like something that you're using that will also provide comfort, but now we have like two to three potential solutions already in place so that we don't have to think because the more that we have to try and figure things out on the spot, it's just going to cause us to default to the thing that we always default to, which would be um, food in this instance. So um, assessing the situation, giving yourself a, a opportunity to become present by setting that pause. Um, and it really helps to have an anchor. So um, an anchor can be anything that gets you in the present moment. An anchor can be your breath. An anchor could be a smell. It could be a picture that you're observing. It can be anything in that present moment that puts you in the present moment. So going to an anchor, giving yourself that pause, and then finding ways to pivot outside of your normal default behaviors. Uh, so next question is, how to motivate myself to stick to a routine for exercising? I love this question because it comes up all the time. How do you stay motivated? And the easy answer is you will never always be motivated. So motivation, as I talk about a lot, is an emotion. It's fleeting. It's unreliable. It's unpredictable. You will, If you rely on motivation, you will not get anything done. And sometimes it just helps to put that in context of all the other things that you do in your life that are routine and think about how motivated you are to do those things. So you go to work every day. How, motiv how motivated are you to go to your job every single day? Probably not all that motivated. Uh, you brush your teeth. I don't, I don't remember the last time I was like, yes, I'm super motivated to go brush my teeth. Like motivation is something that can be used in little bursts where once it hits, we can use it to be even more productive, but to rely on that, it's, it's setting yourself up for failure. So understanding that when you are getting into an exercise routine, first of all, it helps to find something you enjoy. That's the first thing. If you're miserable in the way that you're training, it's not going to be a routine. You're just not going to stick with it. That's just the bottom line. So find something you enjoy doing first and foremost, and then understand that you don't, you're not going to be motivated, that you're going to stay committed and continue to be disciplined through that process because of why it matters to you, because you want to be healthier, because you want to be more fit. Like You don't have to be motivated to show up every day. I can tell you that the last time I was like truly motivated to train uh, was probably, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. Things have been super busy and, and hectic and chaotic, and I've been traveling, and, and it's just been all over the place. The last thing that I have thought about doing is like going and crushing it in the gym, but I still show up every day just because it's part of my routine and it's because it's part of my identity. It's part of who I am. So understanding why it matters to you and why it's important and then knowing that you're going to stick with it regardless of how motivated you are or not. All right, Savannah. So next question is how to calculate my own macros and how to adjust when cutting. Um, so this is something that the most effective strategy for calculating your own macros is through trial and error. You could type in, you could actually go online, you could type in, you know, macro calculator, you could type in um, how to calculate total daily energy expenditure. You'll get all these different formulas and they'll give you a number. And that's fine as a starting point. Some are going to be closer than others. But the, 
reality is that your maintenance, the only way to truly find that is to truly find it, which it would be through experimentation, which would be through actually tracking. So an easy starting point is coming up with, you know, a calorie target based off of a calculation. Um, you could even do something simple as just like body weight times a multiplier. So, you know, starting with like body weight times 12 to 14 and picking a number and then setting your protein at a minimum of 0.7 grams per pound of body weight. And now you've got your protein. Now you've got your calorie target. Carbs and fats, you can adjust based off of personal preference. If you're more of a carbs person, go a little bit higher on carbs, a little bit lower on fat. If you're more of a fat person, then go a little higher on fats. But you have your protein minimum and you have your calorie target. And hit that consistently for two weeks and see what happens with your weight. Is it going down? Is it going up? Is it staying stable? Um, At that point, you need to make an adjustment based off of what the results are telling us. So if weight's going down, you're in a calorie deficit and you can increase to find your maintenance. If your weight's going up, you're probably in a surplus and you might have to decrease to find your maintenance. Um, If it's stable, that doesn't necessarily mean you found your maintenance because you could try to increase again and see what happens. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you can increase, remain stable, increase again, remain stable, then increase again. Now, all of a sudden your weight's trending up a little bit. So we would go back to the previous adjustment and that would be kind of where your maintenance is. And then how to adjust when cutting would just be that you found your maintenance through trial and error, through experimentation, and then you want to elicit a calorie deficit. So it would be starting with somewhere in the range of 20% um, doesn't have to be that exact number, but you would cut 20% of calories somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on how aggressive you want to be, of 10 to 30%. And I know that's a a big range, but it also depends on um, how long you want to take, how how long you want to be in a deficit, um, where you're currently at, how much fat you actually have to lose. So all these different variables will tell us um, what we should do. And, And again, this is one of those things where Having a coach makes this process so much easier. Uh, Rather than trying to figure it out yourself, which I'm all about self-experimentation and doing things on your own, but it just makes the process a million times easier if you have a coach to walk you through that. All right, so moving along. Sleep as a type three, it's hard to come by. While I usually fall asleep pretty quickly, I wake up a lot and will just lay there for hours thinking about all manners of really stupid shit. (laughs) I feel like I've tried everything and nothing works. Um, So this is something that a lot of people struggle with, myself included. You know, just I'm the type of person where I have like a million ideas a day. And if I wake up in the middle of night and like I have to go and I pee and all of a sudden those ideas start popping up and I start to like go on these little crazy thought tangents, um, you know, some things that help. And this is going to be just like a very general overview of creating a healthy sleep routine. So having the same bedtime every night is huge. Um, Making sure that your room is pitch black and cool has been statistically shown to um, improve sleep quality. So you're going to get into a deeper sleep if you have like no light coming through, blackout curtains, and your temperature is cooler. Um, And then understanding that if you're the type of person where your brain races and you start thinking about everything, you probably need to do a brain dump before you go to bed. Now, that could be journaling. That could be just like recording stuff on your phone. One of the best tools is like literally just hitting record on your voice memos and getting all the stuff out of your mind that you're thinking about. 
Um, and then, you know, stuff that like a wind down routine where you're, you're turning off blue lights at least an hour before bed. You're starting to really establish a process for getting into that parasympathetic mode. So any sort of relaxation method, whether it be reading, um, going by candlelight, it could be like listening to some some music or calm music, and um, something something else that helps is is uh, Brain FM is an app that actually will play some some different sounds to induce um, you know sleep and get you into that parasympathetic mode. So using something like that or an app like Headspace or Calm, where you're doing some like five ten minutes of meditation, anything that's going to put you in that calm rest and digest mode, um, but having it as a routine. So if it's something that you're not going to stick with, um, then it's not worth just throwing out like one time because it takes a little while for these things to become habit. So getting into a solid sleep routine, same time, you know, cutting off the blue lights, getting into a relaxation mode, and then doing a brain dump before bed. Um, if you have to get into the, the supplement route, you know, using melatonin sporadically or using something like, um, you know, like CBD or something along those lines to, to calm you down or something like reishi, mushrooms. Um, I prefer all of those things as a last resort. But, you know, if you've gotten to the point where you've got the solid routine down, you've got everything established and pretty well organized, um, then moving to supplements might be necessary. All right. So reverse dieting slash maintenance. So I did an entire podcast on reverse dieting. Um, so I would just recommend going back because it was like a whole, I don't even know how long the episode was, but I broke down the entire process of reverse dieting. But if you're asking about how to reverse diet to find maintenance, um, it's basically just a slow and gradual increase of calories until things stabilize. Just like I mentioned with the with a couple questions ago, um, just because your weight is stable, that doesn't mean that you've hit maintenance. You may be able to increase again. So I like to you know to play with that a little bit and be conservative. You don't have to you know go too aggressive with how you increase your calories, but it's just going to be a slow increase in calories until you find a point where weight has been stable for two weeks, um, and then if you increase and you start to notice that the trend over time, not like the scale went up one day and you're like, oh crap, I'm, I'm above maintenance. But the trend, the averages over like a, a one to two week period, um, if it shows an increase, then you would go back to your previous adjustment and use that as your maintenance. All right. We're going to do, let's see how many questions I have. All right. So we're making pretty good progress here. So we're going to do a few more questions. Um, how to fully utilize a trainer. I have one, but I really don't know what to be doing with him. I understand the value. I have a trainer at the gym that I see, but online, this is new to me. I feel kind of creepy. So you are definitely not alone in that. I think that having, and I'm assuming that you mean a coach um, as far as like an online coach, not just like somebody who's writing training programs, but actually somebody who's coaching you through the process. And the important thing to understand is you're not alone in that. You know, some of us are more reserved and we're like, you know, we kind of have this wall up and, and it's tough to, to let people in and um, to get vulnerable and, and share our feelings. And, you know, you got the coach asking about like biofeedback and asking, you know, mindset related questions and it can get personal. Like the, the thing that we pride ourselves on as, you know, in pop as, you know, a community, our coaches, it's the relationships, it's the connection. And that's like where our coaching begins. 
this is what we talk about on like all of our coaching calls is like, how can we create better relationships and better connection? Because a lot of people think the magic is in the macros and in the numbers and, and all of like the nutritional science and, and that stuff is, is obviously important to know, but the real magic in coaching is in the connection. It's in the relationships. It's in understanding people. It's in the mindset side of things. So um, ultimately, you want to utilize your coach by telling them what's going They can't help you if they don't know what's going on. If they don't know what's going on psychologically, if they don't know how things are feeling, if they don't know um, what challenges you're facing, um, then they really can't help you. So um, sometimes, like I said, it's it's difficult to open up, but that's where like building the relationship. So just like you would, you know, talk to somebody who you just met and you weren't like totally ready to open up to them, you know, you would start with just some like surface level conversation um, and then start to dig deeper as you go through that process of building trust and building the relationship. And it becomes um, something where it just develops over time. Uh, sometimes with the coach client relationship, it can take a while before that, that wall comes down. And, and when it does, that's when the real magic starts to happen. Cause that's when we get to the underlying stuff, the stuff below the surface. And it's not just about, you know, macros and tracking and training and, all this stuff that we talk about that that matters, but it really doesn't matter if we don't have the internal stuff, if we don't have the mindset stuff taken care of first. So it's like we have to kind of build that trust, that relationship in order to get there. But I would just say, ask questions. That's a like one of the best ways when you're a little bit more like reserved and you don't want to talk about yourself, you don't want to share your feelings. It's ask questions. And that's like one of the best ways where you're you're not really like opening up, but you're going to get some valuable information that can start that conversation and help the relationship move forward. Next question is how to add two out two more hours to my day without sacrificing sleep. Um, I would say that the biggest challenge with this is really assessing your schedule. Like, have you ever taken the time to like write down? everything that you're doing in a day and and really like logging it just like you would log your food for a day but like actually logging how you spend your time and seeing if there's any way that you could rearrange your schedule and time block so that you're opening up more time or maybe you're spending time you know that you could be that could be better utilized elsewhere um is there any way to like you know cut certain periods of time throughout the day i think again without knowing your schedule it's hard for me to assess this but one of the most useful habits that a lot of entrepreneurs ceos like you'll hear them talk about this all the time it was going through the day and realizing even though they thought they were super busy they were busy with stuff that they didn't necessarily need to be doing or they were not as busy as they thought because they were spending too much time like you know checking out what other people were doing and going on social media or just spending time that they, that could have been better utilized. So, um, I, I can't imagine maybe, maybe this is the case, but I can't imagine that your day from start to finish is totally book solid that you don't have two hours where, you know, you could maybe assess, um, certain parts of the day and, and start time blocking, like having your calendar actually blocked off for certain things that you need to be doing. Um, even if that means like scheduling personal time. So, you know, one of the things that I'll do is when I open up my calendar for people to schedule calls and, you know, and, and different things like that, I'm going to block the time 
if I know I need to get to the gym or if I know that I, you know, just need an hour to myself um, for self-care, whatever it looks like, block that time in your calendar um, and, you know, just go through the, go through the day and assess what you're doing and start to log it and, and look at um, if there's anywhere that you're kind of spending time that could be better spent elsewhere. Next question is how to prevent DOMS. So we're talking about delayed onset muscle soreness, basically when you feel like you can't walk after leg day. Um, so how to prevent it is to be smart with your training. Um, first of all, the biggest thing is when you are training in a way that you haven't trained in a while, there's going to be a lot of neurological adaptation that happens. So it's basically like getting your muscle fibers firing um, in synchronicity. And when that's not, when you, you need time for your body to learn um, to get those muscle fibers firing together. When you're doing something new, you're going to be more prone to, to muscle soreness. You're going to be more prone to doing things inefficiently, which is going to create that. Um, or if you're just pushing volume way too far. So you should be able to learn through the process of where that volume sweet spot is for you or having a good coach who does your programming for you. Um, so it's like if I went into the gym and I did 10 by 10 back squats and I couldn't walk the next day, that's too much volume. There's no, there's no preventing that. It's nothing I could do ahead of time to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go way beyond my volume threshold. Um, that comes down to training intelligently. So learning about how much volume you can tolerate and then also understanding the different variables that will impact how much volume you can tolerate. So if I'm in a deficit and I am very stressed and I've got a lot of stuff going on that's, that's causing, you know, so it's low calories, high stress, you know, different things going on in my life that, that make my ability to recover diminish, then my volume is going to have to be lower as a result. So understanding the variables that are going to impact that, whereas, you know, there's things that you can do very, like generally speaking, um, having more, you know, calories and carbs for recovery, um, drinking more water, having, you know, making sure that you're getting in enough electrolytes, enough sodium, enough potassium. That's probably one of the biggest things is people underutilize sodium, um, which can really help you with the recovery process and help avoid some of that muscle soreness. But those things are, are kind of more on the minor side where it's really about understanding your volume threshold and not doing too much. If you're always feeling like completely run down and completely shot after a workout, you just did too much. That's it. Like it is, you're not doing yourself any favors. Like having intense muscle soreness does not mean that you're going to build more muscle. It's actually probably the opposite that you are diminishing the progress that you're able to make because it's your, your body is trying to recover and repair the damage just to get back to like square one. If we think about like we're digging a hole when we train and the recovery process is refilling that hole to build muscle. We want to be able to build on top of that foundation. So we, we fill up that hole and then we can continue building because we have the resources available. If we're draining all of those resources just to refill the hole, we're just back at square one or even worse would be just to fill back up the hole, but we didn't even get it back up to the ground level. So now we're starting in a little bit of a deficit as far as building muscle and repair. So um, understanding that Muscle soreness does not mean you did a good workout. It typically means that you overreached and that you did too much volume and you don't have either the adequate amount of recovery, um, calories, carbs, lifestyle variables, 
you know, lack of sleep, those sort of things in order to repair that damage and then to build on top of that, which is the ultimate goal. So sometimes just a tiny bit of soreness, like know, you know that you did a good job, you know that you worked hard, but you're not like, you know, feeling that intense muscle soreness where you can't walk, um, you know, and even no soreness, that doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job. It just means that you are doing an adequate amount of volume where your body is very capable of recovering. So um, sometimes we just have to get out of that mindset that soreness equals good work because that's definitely not the case. All right. So I think this is probably a good stopping point in that way for the next episode, we've got a decent amount of questions. Um, so we've been rolling for like 40 minutes, which is perfect. Um, great questions. There's some good ones coming up that I'm excited to dive into. And uh, we'll get into some some of the topics about how to stay consistent. Is weight maintenance a myth? How to stay disciplined? Like somebody's asking, why can I be disciplined for a few months and make progress and then go off the rails, which is super common. I know I can certainly relate to that. Um, talking about alcohol, talking about some of the neurotypes and um, that sort of thing. So that'll be part two. This was part one. Um, again, we did this live on the Facebook group. So you should absolutely join us because we are closing in on a thousand members and we need to hit a thousand members to keep spreading our message. So look at the personality diet and neurotype training on Facebook. I will also post the link in the show notes. I appreciate you guys for joining me and I will talk to you next time.